Hello and welcome to the Magic Hour. Today on episode 10 of the Magic Hour, we have myself, Andrew, from Magic Valley. We have our CEO and founder, Paul Bevan, and we have our head of innovation, Jacob Goodwin. And today's a special episode because there's been some really exciting news in the last week come out of the United States. Paul, do you want to tell us about what that news is? Sure. Uh, thanks for the uh, intro, Andrew. Jacob, good to see you back in the studio as well. Back. Yeah, excellent. There's um, yeah, there's been some um, really big news uh, last week uh, in the US. We have uh, finally seen uh, the USDA provide uh, approval for cultivated meat products from from two companies uh, to be. Um, sold uh, in in the US. That was following. It was a bit of a funny um, situation, really, because we 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 saw the FDA provide approval. I think it was about six months ago now, maybe a bit more. Approval actually. or no question, no, no further questions. No further questions. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the the FDA sort of signed off on on their part, and then early last week we saw the USDA provide approval for the labelling. labeling of the products and was that cell cultivated chicken cell cultivated chicken yeah exactly was the the label that they approved and then within like 24 or 48 hours and that they then provided usda approval for the manufacturing facilities for those for those products and so you know the the final sign off for that to um to to be approved i i don't know why they didn't sort of do that together i'm not (laughs) it seemed a bit weird to me Maybe they they just needed to get all their ducks in order with the with the companies for their press releases, and there was sort of a lot of behind the scenes stuff, and they wanted it all to come out at, at the same time. And yeah, but it didn't though. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like the couple of days in between. That, that's why it sort of didn't didn't make sense. Mm. To me. I thought, oh, you know, now we've got to wait another few months to get the uh, facility approved, but that's not the case. Anyway, anyway, um, so what that all means is, you know, it's huge news for the industry. Obviously. Uh, a lot of regulators across the world follow the lead of the the FDA and the the USDA, um, which you know holds cultivated meat and the cultivated meat industry in, in really good stead for regulatory approval. You know, in other regions, you know, Australia, um, you know, hopefully being being one of those. Um, but it just provides you know a really massive uh, sign off, I guess, on on cultivated meat. Um, as you said, the the, the labelling is is cell cultivated chicken. So both companies in the US are, are doing a, a chicken product or have had a, a chicken product uh, approved, and that obviously follows um, you know Singapore's initial uh, approval of uh, a cultivated chicken product back in 2020 as well. So you know hopefully this opens the the doors for some uh, more approvals in in the US, um, but also right across the world because as we know. The regulators um, uh, here in Australia that are um, relevant to us is uh, Food Standards Australia and New Zealand, and they obviously talk to you know Singapore, uh, the SFA in Singapore, the the USDA in in the US. The Canada has a separate regulator as well. Yeah, I believe I they do. Yeah, the name escapes me at the moment, but the, yeah, I mean they're all working to to standardise as much as possible. Um, the regulatory approval uh, requirements um, across those regions. So, like, this is just yeah, no, this is just massive for the for the industry um, all around. And, and we thought it was coming this year, but we didn't know we didn't know when we didn't know when it was going to happen. And it's, I think it's super exciting because of the the size of the market in the US. Chicken's the most popularly consumed meat in the US. So, for two companies to have the ability to sell within that large market um, compared to one company only able to sell in Singapore. 
but I, I think there's still some hold up or not hold up, but there's still some scaling issues. Jacob, I, I don't know if you have you read up on what happens where they're going to release these these products in the different companies in in the US. I think it's a couple of different restaurants that they're looking at. With the first port of call is uh, to partner with some restaurants. Which, which makes sense, you know, yeah. obviously at, you know, smaller scale production until you're able to, you know, be, you know, pumping out hundreds of thousands of, of kilos, um, it, it makes sense to to be distributing, I guess, as it were, through through restaurants. Oh, I mean, that's, you know, sort of what we've sort of outlined as, as our approach as well. I think in the US, one of the companies has their own manufacturing facility and one is using a, a contract manufacturer, which is a interesting yeah. differentiation between the two. Obviously, you know, there's differences in capital outlay and, and expense for both of those approaches. Um, so, it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how they both work out, which one, you know, can scale faster, um, you know, through the contract manufacturer or through their own facility and um, the products that, that flow on from there. And I believe the contract manufacturer um, had their facility approved by the USDA at the same time. So whether that means they're now potentially available as a facility for other companies as well or whether mm. there's an exclusive arrangement in place, I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And as you mentioned, you know, the US is is such a massive market in terms of the consumer as well. It, it's just, yeah, look, it really is exciting news for, for everyone in the industry. And as you mentioned, the focus on chicken, um, as we know, a number of companies are focused on chicken, but, you know, chicken is... Um, uh, we slaughter the most chickens in, in the world. So it's over uh, over 70 billion, I think, <laughs> of chicken alone, um, which is by far the the, the most. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of positives to, to come out. Well, it's, there are th- three chicken products now in Singapore and, and well, one in Singapore and, and two in the US. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk as well about uh, potentially a, a seafood product being, being regulated next in the US, which I think only needs one approval. I, I'm not, I can't remember now whether it's just FDA or just USDA. I think it's just FDA. I think you might be right there. Yeah. yeah so, um, you know, there's a bit of, there's been talk about that for a while actually, probably for over six months that, you know, that uh, the FDA will provide approval for, for that product, um, which then obviously, you know, is a little bit simpler, only having to go um, go get approval from one of the one of the bodies. So now hopefully that happens this year as well, um, which would be also a really exciting step. But just going back to the consumer, yeah, look, if yeah, consumers in the US can finally try, you know, cultivated, um, well, cell cultivated chicken, Mm. Got that right? Yeah, cell cultivated chicken. Um, that would be that'd be massive because as we've seen, just you know, for ourselves doing doing tastings, people being able to actually try the product, um, you know, taste the product, you know, smell the product, you know, get, get the mouthfeel and everything. Because you know, obviously we're we're a, we're a tech company, but we're also producing a food product, uh, and so lots of people are interested in the tech. But when it comes down to it. Um, the reality is, if, if people don't like eating the product, or well, you know, the tech is <laughs> the tech is useless because you know people aren't going to buy it and eat it, or you know what's the point? So it just makes it really real and, and, and tangible. Um, and as you said, you know, distributing through 
uh, you know, restaurants in the US, you know, that'll give, you know, early adopters a chance to, I think, uh, I think one of the companies were, were they running a, a competition or, or something to, to be one of the first to come and to come, come and taste. taste the products? Yeah. Which is, which is a great idea. I think it builds up, you know, the, you know, the excitement around it as, as well. Um, and it just, yeah, it just holds everyone in good stead throughout the industry because there's been a lot of, you know, we get asked the question a lot, you know, oh, you know, what about regulation or how what if you never get, regu- yeah, what if it never gets regulated or, uh, yeah, how long is it going to take? You know, when, when can you start selling? Um, and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, this dispels, you know, a lot of, a lot of those questions around, um, you know, actually the product coming, coming to market. Absolutely. Now, Paul, hypothetically, if, if let's say you were, a a small uh, startup company making a cultivated meat product in a different jurisdiction. What what are some of the flow-on effects you think might be useful for a hypothetical company like that? Very hypothetical question, Andrew. Um, look, it, it's really good um, for that company, which is in you know uh, a nascent industry. Uh, as I mentioned before, to provide really a validity um, uh, of the ability to to bring a product to to market, um, and I think also it, it 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 raises some more questions around scalability as well, and in terms of what comes next for for those mm. companies, and how quickly they are able to scale, and how their technology does scale. Um, which would be really interesting to to see. Um, I guess for your hypothetical company in a in a g- different jurisdiction, um, it also brings up a lot of um, awareness and and publicity. Obviously, you know, I've said this a million times, but you know, the US is a, is a huge market. Um, you know, large number of consumers. Um, and, you know, large media presence, um, you know, a lot of even culturally, you know, uh, a lot of countries and Australia is probably one of them, you know, follows the, the US and, and, and what is happening over there in, in all aspects of, of culture. And so um, I think the, you know, the awareness that it, that it raises now around a, you know, a really widely consumed um, meat um, being able to be made through um, cell cultivation and then consumers being able to try it and buy it and um, uh, give it a go and give their feedback on, on the product. Um, it, it really just, you know, I think it lifts everyone within within the industry um, and it just makes it more real. Like it's it's here now. It's not some, you know, futurist. I mean, it's been here, as we know, it's been around already for a few years, but it just makes it a lot more tangible for people and it brings it into the mainstream as well, I think. So, um, you know, Singapore is quite a small market. Um, but the US, you know, is considered, you know, not just huge, but really the mainstream, uh, as it were. And so I think it is is just really beneficial for every company within the industry, um, you know, regardless of, of, of what they're focusing on, even just through, you know, the media attention and awareness and, you know, now the consumer awareness um, around it. Um, yeah, I, I think I think is is huge. Absolutely. And I don't know, at Magic Valley, the morning it came out, we're all super excited and and just the number of contacts with people asking us about our our product um, without us putting out any any press or media about it. The, the, a lot of people have been asking us, well, what's happening in Australia? How, how quickly is it going to follow on? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, we provided obviously commentary um, to a couple of media outlets mm-hmm. uh, around that as well. But, yeah, we do get that question. Well, it's raised a lot of questions actually about, um, you know, will those companies be able to, you know, export their products to to Australia? Um 
Uh, my understanding is they they still need Food Standards Australia New Zealand approval to to do that. Um, so that you know that probably is not happening uh, anytime soon as as far as we know but um you know potentially you know now that they've got um those products uh, approved in the u.s it might make it easier to get approval uh in australia whether that's you know export or to to set up a facility here and and and, and do that um uh people have asked you know does it make things uh easier for us or does you know, no people ask oh can we sell our products in the u.s now and and the short answer to that is no we, we every company has to go through their their own individual approval process um at this stage anyway so um so no it doesn't mean we can start selling our products or other companies can start selling our products it is it is restricted to those two companies that, that do have approval um for their process uh there are no questions asked letter um uh, the labelling and and the manufacturing facilities. So oh, and their specific cell lines. Absolutely, yeah, exactly. And you know, as we've we've touched on a couple of times um, in previous episodes of the podcast, everyone's using a different process. Everyone is um, uh, mostly using different cell lines um, and also looking at different species and, and different products. And so that's sort of why everything has to be regulated on a you know a product by product basis. Um, and and product by product by company basis because everyone's you know do, doing different things, and it's something we talk about a lot in terms of the, you know the process and um, cell lines and uh, media and media development and bioreactors and, and and all those sorts of things. So yeah, look, it it's. It, um, it, it really is a, a massive milestone being able to to get into a market like that and, and see the products you know uh, available for sale and it'll be really interesting to see the consumer response to that definitely have either of you been in the us recently no uh, not not since pre-covid days yeah no that's all I got. Well, i've only been i've only been once and it was actually in march this year um and I guess I was in a bit of a bubble when I was there as well because, you know, we were talking about, um, you know, food tech and cultivated meat particularly. You know, I was constantly talking. <laughs> Whoever was listening to me was hearing about it anyway. Um, so, yeah, so it would be really interesting to to see the consumer response uh, to it. Yeah, look, I mean, like any new thing, I'm sure it'll it'll be to some degree polarising but and it would be super interesting to see the 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 availability of it, how quickly the companies can scale and get it out to more than a, a restaurant or two and, and just to see what see what happens over the next next months to years. Yeah. And the differences between the products too, which I think is really interesting because we've got two cell cultivated chicken products going to market at the same time from from two different companies. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, particularly the consumer feedback to that, you know, whether they prefer one over the other and the different processes and the, and the products that they're putting out and price points, I guess, as well, uh, as you mentioned, uh, in, as well as availability. Yeah, and it, uh, look, I, I, I don't think there's a huge difference in the cell lines that they're using to make their products, but Jacob, do you, do you want to... Um, give us a little bit of an overview on on the way these companies are making their their cultivated chicken meat products. Uh, sure. So both of the companies uh, are taking a, a fibroblast approach. Uh, so they take some fibroblasts from the from an animal or a cell line repository. Uh, these generally are going through an immortalization process where they're being um, spontaneously allowed to 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 grow indefinitely. And that just allows them to, to grow their mass from these uh, fibroblast cells. So, 
Yeah, I, I, you're probably going to ask the same question as you, I am. You go, Andrew. So can, can you give us a, a, a more lay description of spontaneous immortalization? So, uh, so spontaneous uh, uh, immortalization is basically what it sounds like. So you, you have your cells that are growing under normal culture conditions. Uh, normally cells will undergo what's called senescence, which um, there's a limit to how much a normal cell can replicate in culture. And uh, what they've basically done is just wait around long enough for a mutation event to occur. And this has given them an advantage that allows them to divide and sort of bypass this hate uh, limit. Um, so, yeah, it's a completely just a random, spontaneous event that occurs that is working for them. And I know the answer to this question, but isn't that a GMO <laughs> or a genetically modified organism? Uh, I guess it depends on your definition, whether it's a, a naturally occurring event, which is this is a random event and naturally occurring mutations occur all of the time. Um, a lot of the times within our bodies and with animal bodies, the, the cells would be um, taken care of by our immune systems. Um, but in ex vivo sort of condition, they, they're allowed to proliferate. Um, so, yeah, I guess it depends on your jurisdiction that you're under and what's defined as a GMO. But it's... Uh, I guess there is a modification to the genome itself, but this, in this case it's natural. And, and so is that spontaneous immortalization a, a, a one-off event and so that will be continuing to multiply uh, in, indefinitely from that point or would it need to happen over and over? Like how scalable is, is that? I guess it really depends on the mutations. It's probably not going to be a single mutation. It's going to be an accumulation of uh, uh, mutations that allow the, the cells to, to divide. Um, as long as the cells can continue to divide, they should be okay. Um, but with every new species or if you want to look at different breeds, then that's going to have to occur every single time. Mm. And, and it's not, uh, you know, it's not a timed event. You can't sort of plan for how long these things will take to uh, immortalize themselves it's mm. sort of a, a completely random process mm. but roughly i think in, in and in general the the spontaneous immortalization that they put the cells through about 50 passages to see if they're stable in genetically from the beginning of that process to the end of that process and so that it's, that's more than 50 cell doublings um but it, it's 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 a it's a it's a long and laborious process to make sure that they've got a cell line that is stable enough for them to spend a lot of money on to 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 get regulated to sell as a product. Mm. It, it seems like a different, a very different uh, uh, approach when you're, when you're trying to, you know, have a consistent process as possible for particularly for regulatory uh, uh, approval but uh, also to, to replicate that at scale and then having to, basically do it all over again uh, or, or wait for that to happen with other species and, you know, other products that, that you want to produce. It, it, yeah, it sounds really inefficient. Uh, look, in, in some ways, yes, but once you have a, a good cell line and how you define a good cell line, maybe we can talk a little bit mm. about later, but a, a good cell line is, is pretty valuable. Mm. Mm -hmm. But we think it would be potentially GMO. No, um, by definition, in the US, the method they have used for spontaneous immortalization is not GMO. Oh, okay. I think one of the companies has also got a no questions asked 
approval um, for a specific genetic modification. Oh, okay. um, but whether that is what they're running with, with the actual product that they're going to sell, I, that's not clear yet. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So some of it's still a bit grey. Interesting. And what about, um, I guess, I mean, that's not the approach we're taking, obviously, with, with, with cell lines um, uh, or, or GMO. Obviously, we're using uh, induced pluripotent cells for, for our products. Do you want to talk a little bit um, around that? And I know we've talked about the benefits of it, of it previously, but just to highlight, I guess, the differences between, between the approaches. So the differences, the main differences I see is that making induced pluripotent stem cells using a method that doesn't change the sequence of the DNA a lot is so it's not a GMO product. It's a it's a more generally applicable technology to a number of different species relatively quickly. We've been able to make a, a lamb cell line and, and a, a pork cell line, and um, the beauty of induced pluripotent stem cells is they divide really quickly. You don't have to wait for spontaneous genetic mutations to make them grow fast they grow fast straight up and that's with the 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 same dna sequence that the the cells from the animal started with so it's um in a lot of ways it's a potentially more stable system for making what i would call good good cell lines that are going to be able to make lots of copies of themselves um to make lots of products more quickly and more cheaply because they're they're dividing more quickly. I'm not sure if you want to add anything to that, Jacob. Uh, just from a regulatory perspective, um, it's come up in the American system and also here in Australia, New Zealand. Um, there's a lot of focus that's being put on um, what's commonly consumed or what's been routinely consumed and how different that is. So in terms of the cells that we have, we eat them, those cell types when they're as part of the animal, but the ones that we have in our cultures of how different are they so anything that we can do to keep them this as similar as possible without modification mm. uh, should help uh, that, that regulatory approval process interesting do we know when they started uh the regulatory approval process these companies in the u.s like when they submitted their application i, I haven't seen any i don't know on that. yeah i mean i can make a guess of it's 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 more than 12 months ago oh absolutely yeah. yeah 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 definitely I, I was just wondering how long how long the entire process was. Anyway, um, pluripotent stem cell. So, there, so a, a, a embryonic stem cell is a type of pluripotent stem cell as well. Yeah. So, an em- embryonic stem cell comes from a donated, whether from the animal, um, if if you can use that term, because mm. it's pretty hard for an animal to consent mm-hmm. to a donation. Um, a, a donated, very early stage embryo that is less than, smaller than the size of a head of a pin and there's a group of cells in there called a blastocyst and you take those cells out of that embryo and, and grow them up in a, in a, a special recipe that allows them to, to form. It, it's Those embryonic stem cells are pluripotent stem cells mm-hmm. and they're made quite differently and have a different source than induced pluripotent stem cells that can be made from any cell in the body. So in our case, we make them from a a simple skin 
biopsy or a scavenged piece of ear punch from a procedure that an animal was going going through where there's some some leftover tissue and in both cases the animal um, lives quite happily afterwards um, those cells are then reprogrammed so we add specific factors to them to push them back so that they have all of the characteristics of an embryonic stem cell so that they're also pluripotent um, which and pluripotent just means capable of forming all of the cell types of of that of that animal obviously without the destruction of an embryo yep yeah exactly and there's well my understanding is there's one of the company is this right one of the companies in the u.s used an existing cell line that they that they obtained yeah they bought that cell line from a an entity called the american type culture collection a lot of the scientists listening would know it as atcc um and yeah the you can buy cell lines from that american type culture collection as either a research only or you can use buy a commercial license from from the, that cell line mm. um i believe they've then taken that that cell line and, and modified it to some extent mm. to, for, the, for their, the cell line that they're using in production. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're obviously taking, a, again, a, a vastly different uh, approach, um, creating our, our induced pluripotent stem cell lines from, from scratch, from, from the biopsy, um, and doing all of that uh, in-house, which, again, I think um, the alternative approach is an, is an interesting one because, you know, as we've seen or as we know, um, you know, cell lines and, and obtaining or, or developing your own cell line is um, not a simple, not a simple process, uh, and we've put a lot of work yeah, into that. Um, and we know industry wide, you know, uh, companies struggle with their with their cell lines and, and or developing their own cell lines. And there's not a lot of cell lines available um, to, to to purchase or or to, to license. Is there, but particularly with um, the type of technology that, that we're looking at being an, an induced pluripotent stem cell line. Not not a lot at all from, um, especially from livestock species. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the other point I'd like to make about us making our own cell lines of other, as opposed to buying them off the shelf, which is kind of what one of these companies did, is that what it does is gives us control from the very beginning of the process so that we can absolutely ensure that these cells have never seen any animal products other than the animal that they came from um and we to add to my knowledge with it with one of the very few if not only companies in the world that can actually state that that we know ourselves have never seen any animal products yeah no I and mean, that's certainly my understanding i'm happy to be corrected on that but yeah that that would be my understanding as as well um what else about cell lines? Because we've, we've seen uh, a couple of uh, reports recently, in, like industry-wide reports on, on on cell lines and the availability of cell lines. And, and you know, as you mentioned, you know, we're doing everything in in house, so you know, all of that IP belongs to us. Those cell lines belong um, to, to to us. Um, what are some of the approaches that that other companies are using? You know, obviously, you mentioned you know purchasing something off off the shelf. What what are some other methods? I guess of you know um, starting. The the, the process for developing cultivated meat that other companies are using? I guess there's a number of different technologies or um, approaches people are taking. There's a few companies that have been doing ES cells, and that's mainly from species that have 
eggs because it's an easier process to mm. obtain those uh, early um, cells. Um, we've looked at and we've had a look at uh, companies that are using uh, embryonic fibroblasts, so again, early stage fibroblasts that allow them to, to proliferate. Uh, another approach is to look at the adult stem cell um, as a source, so muscle um, satellite cells yeah. or adipose um, uh, precursor cells, and that allows you to um, uh, expand for a limited capacity uh, in, in culture, but um, you know, there's some question to whether they are a long-term um, scalable alternative. Yeah, and, and, and how would companies get those cells because I've seen some disturbing reports recently around, you know, where where that, that starter cell material comes from. So could you, for example, um, uh, obviously with it's easy for us to talk about our own process because we, we know our own process. So we take a, a sample of cells from a living animal that goes on and con- continue living its life. I, I've read reports of um, samples being taken from slaughtered animals or animals being killed in the process of, of obtaining those starter cells um, and also taking starter cells from, uh, from, from dead animals. So, so from, or even from meat, meat products, like how, how, how is that, how is that possible? And, and what I guess are the concerns around those other approaches aside from the ethical concerns around it? Uh, so for embryonic stem cells, obviously you are destroying an embryo. Uh, depending on the, the the species, you can do surgeries to take to take eggs. You're not necessarily killing the adult animal, but you're definitely taking embryonic tissues. Um, for large animals, again, you can take muscle biopsies to or fat biopsies to get those cells. Again, you have to go backwards and forwards. Um, for smaller species, I think it's not a very viable thing to take. Mm. Um, just a biopsy. It's probably the whole animal. So a lot of aquatic species, especially, mm. are probably. Uh, killed in that process. So the recent report that came out that was a survey of over 40 companies in the APAC region, I, I believe, that that are looking at making cultivated meat products, the, the majority of companies' um, cell lines were from slaughtered animals, mm. I believe, um, without naming specific companies because mm. like, that information wasn't, wasn't given. Uh, and the most desired cell lines for companies that were looking to get cell lines were they had a few characteristics um so they were um uh able to grow well they weren't coming from a a slaughtered animal so the animal got got to live and they were able to grow in suspension so when often when cell lines are first made they're made to grow on the surface so that what does that mean they just grow in two dimensions on the on the surface of a a, a piece of tissue culture plastic so it can be a flask or a, or a well plate um, um, so what you really want is cells to grow not attached to anything in suspension and growing really well um, and fast um, it, it just allows for a higher density of culture mm. so that your culture costs are less because you, you need to add less in to to keep those cells in, um, um, going and you don't need as much room in your bioreactor, for example. Mm. So it's a much more efficient and cheaper pro- process to, to doing it that way. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Mm. 
And we, we were, at Massey Valley, we we're kind of happy to see that report because what that does is actually pretty much describe the cell lines that we've made from from lamb and from pig that we know the lamb and the pig are still happily living. We know the cells have never seen any other animal products. We know these cells grow quite fast and we know they grow really well in suspension in, in, our, um, in spheroids and, and we are um, and in the process of growing them in larger and larger vessels to, to test how, how far we can take them um, in, in terms of expansion, which is really exciting. Yeah, um, that's great news. Great news for us, um, but it was just interesting to see all the different uh, approaches. I, I, you know, I, I knew companies used different approaches, but I didn't know how many, how different it was. It, it really is. I think it's just a, an availability thing. So obviously, we worked for a long time to, to get our cell lines uh, to, to get up and running, and so a lot of companies have just gone with what's available, and now having to go back to more um, appropriate cell lines. Yeah. Um, so done the hard yards. Yeah. In the beginning. <laughs> When you say we, you mean you, Jacob. Um, yeah, it's really it's really interesting, isn't it? Because um, I've known our approach was different in that regard from from the start. Like even from when we started, you know, the the idea was to create a scalable solution that could be done at a uh, you know, at a price point that was going to be palatable to to the consumer. You know, because there's there's no point us. You know, recreating a two or three hundred thousand dollar burger in the lab that you know couldn't be scaled and was was unaffordable. And I guess other companies have taken, as you mentioned, a slightly different approach of let's just get it done with what we can and what we understand now, and 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 get that done, and then work on refining the process later. Where we've started with the end process in in mind, um, which I think you know reflects. Uh, you know, a lot of the uh, expenditure between the different approaches uh, as well. And, and maybe time a little bit as well because it's probably, take, as you mentioned, it's like taking us a little bit longer. Um, you know, when you see uh, other companies, you know, taking the alternative approach and, and doing things a little bit quicker but now they've got to basically go back and start again to do what we're, what we're doing whereas we're taking sort of the, the longer view approach, I guess, sure. uh, in terms of what we're doing. And so quite different so people that are using cell lines and reagents that are commonly used in in research so it's it's predictable i guess how those cells have reacted mm. uh, if you look at the literature um, it's predominantly when you're talking about ipscs it's predominantly in human and mice because it's used for medical um, research purposes mm. and so the few papers that are available for other species including agricultural species it's uh, quite difficult and uh, they're often described as putative cells rather than stem, mm. um, stem cells so i think we're pretty uh pretty on board to get a, a our cells are pretty good uh, compared comparatively to what's out there so you know, there's less information for us to go on, but uh, we've, we've managed to do it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, you know, very much testament to, to yourself, um, Jacob, in terms of what we uh, as a company have been able to, to, to do. Um, I guess uh, on, uh, you know, that, that uh, topic, being able to, you know, develop those, those cell lines uh, in-house, um, the amount of work we've put into that, and we've done it across species using using the same uh, platform, and also doing it all animal component free as as well. In particular, with no FBS. Is, I mean, that's the the question we keep getting asked is around FBS, and how do you, how do you do? Like even from people within the within you know the the industry, not 
uh, well, in the cultivated meat industry, but also, you know, from, you know, regenerative medicine and, you know, we had someone um, just the other day who'd been in the industry for, you know, over 10 years and they're like, hey, but how? But how do you do that? How? What are you doing? Like how is that possible? But, you know, again, I always make it sound easy. I'm like, what do you mean? Like <laughs> of course it's possible and it's been, you know, it's been done before with, with human cells. It's been done. Why, why wouldn't we be able to do it? When we're trying to grow up cultivated meat products, but I, I, I make it sound easy to this, but I know it's I know it's not easy. Well, and I'm sure and, you'll tell me it's not. We're easy. not going to tell anyone. Exactly no, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. But people well, are still shocked. Our, maybe our patent attorney. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But people are still shocked, like who who have been you know working in you know regenerative medicine, for example, and been doing it one way for so long. They're just they just completely shocked when I, when I, you know I tell them, and we we always get asked about FBS. It's just a constant question. I guess from an academic perspective, there's no reason to change. People like to do mm. things. It's very yeah, traditional. Yeah, yeah. Like to, you always do things the way things have always been done. Yeah. And you don't necessarily look for alternative ways because it's just slow and, you know, you know, you're just building on other research. So yeah, um, I guess the the way that we've really done things has changed the way that we approach you know, how we do things and you just sort of have to view everything as possible and just... <laughs> make it happen yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's a super exciting thing about working at magic valley that it's a real challenge that was set to the science team when when this this started to to do this without using animal products and to to basically uh do things that there is no pathway for there's there's maybe pathways in other species but there's mm. no pathway in the exact species we've done to do exactly what we've produced since with the the, the sheep and the pork IPS cell lines yeah. in, ter- in terms of both um, making them without animal products and, and differentiating them, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the explanation you gave like through academia makes a lot of sense, Jacob. But th- th- maybe you can help me answer this question because I get asked this question all the time. It's like why, aren't, why are other cultivated meat companies still using FBS? Like why are they still, why do they still use it? And I... I struggle to to come up with a good answer i think it's partly you know what you i mean it's obviously effective and and, and it works right and 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 it's known and um you know it helps the cells to grow and we know all of that stuff um but why they haven't you know uh, and to your point andrew i know we've focused on that from from the start and so you know it's been three years that we've been focused on that and i guess you know some other companies are earlier and um have taken a a different approach but do you have a good answer for why why the companies are still using fbs because i i I struggle to provide that answer i have a really simple answer because if you grow cells in fbs and then take it away they will slow down they will yeah. they will not grow as well. They will not be happy. Yeah, it, right. because FBS contains a whole bunch of different factors that are important for cell cell growth and um, and cells will cells that have seen FBS will grow faster in FBS. And if you take it away, they will not be happy. Mm. I know that's an anthropomorphization of of, of of animal cells, but anyway. Yeah, that's interesting. So they're used to. They're used to the FBS, and then they have to be adapted away from 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 FBS. And I guess that also raises uh, concerns around the scalability of what has been achieved with those cells using FBS, and you know if they can perform you know uh, differently or potentially worse in the, in the beginning when you're trying to 
to move them away. That's going to really affect your your your, your process, but but your but your forecast as well, particularly when it comes to pricing and and scaling and and all those sorts. Of, yeah, well, okay, interesting. What else have you seen in those um, recent reports, Andrew? That that's caught your eye. Uh, look, I, I just think it, it it's always interesting to me that the, the number of companies that are out there that are, are looking for cell lines that are up and running, but they're still looking for cell lines because they're maybe not happy with their, with their cell lines. I think yeah. that that was that was quite an interesting takeout. And we've seen a lot of we've seen a lot of that publicly, but also privately as, mm. as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no not at all. Um, it, I, I guess we haven't really directly repert, referred to, to where the reports come from, but what we'll do is um, for those that are interested in more information on the report, we'll add it um, in the in the liner notes of the of the podcast when the episode comes out. So if people want to go in and look in depth at, the, at this report, we'll, um, we'll give you the information on how to access it. It's a freely available report. Was there anything else that caught your eye, Jacob, in, in any of those reports? Do you speak to do you speak to other um, uh, companies within within the industry around cell line development? Or do you get that question from? Like, I know we get a lot of approaches um, from people trying to sell <laughs> trying to sell us stuff all the time. <laughs> Um, particularly around media, uh, less so I think around cell lines because there's less people that have them. Um, but do you speak to people at other companies about, um, you know, their, their process or the regu- reg- regulatory approval process or, or, or differences in terms of, you know, cell lines and, you know, using FBS and not using FBS and, and, and those sorts of things? Um, for me personally, um, not so much around the, the specific cell types and FBS usage and stuff like that. Do most companies keep that information to them to themselves? I think definitely. Yeah. It's, it's something you hold closely. And obviously if it's not the final way you want to do things, you try and you know, to, don't want to share. Basically. Yeah. And it's also there's a whole lot of money that's potentially are locked away in these uh, processes. Absolutely. I find that really funny though. I mean, obviously it makes commercial sense about, you know, going into the details and stuff, but we've been like blatantly open about what we're doing like, from from the very beginning. Um, whereas I think other companies have, you know, that are using a, maybe a different approach or not quite as efficient approach sort of keep, keep it a bit quiet and, and don't talk about it, which I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know why I find that funny, but I, I do find that funny. And I, I know I've definitely been on a couple of Zooms with people from different continents that are starting out in, in um, cultivated meat companies that are looking to make their cell lines that are ask for advice and very happy to, to talk to people about yeah. the, the well, people broad, are, broad strokes of how we do it. Yeah, well, people ask me, like, particularly people that have been starting out in you know, the last you know, 12 to 18 months, you know, oh, what cell type should we use? And I'm like, pluripotent. And, and, they're, and they're like, oh, no, but so-and-so told me no and so-and-so told me this. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, you asked and I'm telling you what you know, our opinion is. I mean, in some of the literature out there, the opinion-based literature, I'll call it, um, yeah. there's, there's opinions about in, induced pluripotent stem cells being really tricky and, yeah. and hard, hard to make. And, yes, that is true if you don't know what you're doing, yeah. but once they're up and running, they're, they're pretty stable. Yeah, so I guess that's another barrier, a barrier to entry, I guess, or, or barrier to, to, to using this approach. Do, do you want to talk a little bit more about 
um, you know, why, why it's a bit harder, why it requires a certain skill set or experience or, you know, what, what, what makes it a little bit um, you know, harder and take a little bit longer than, you know, just going taking like a muscle biopsy, for example? Look, to be honest, I don't really know the answer to that question. Mm. I think um, I'm biased and I'm probably not the best person to answer that question because I've worked with induced pluripotent yeah, stem yeah. cells since they were first described. Um, uh, my lab uh, was the first in Australia to work with human-induced pluripotent stem cells. So yeah. it's, it's nearly 15 years I've been working with these cells now. So it's, it's kind of... Um, I know a lot less about the muscle biopsy yeah. way to, way to make stem cells. So, so, how long would people have been using muscle biopsies to to make stem cells? A lot longer. A lot longer. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's probably there's a lot more potential recipes that people can follow in the yeah. scientific literature. Um, yeah, people of muscle cell lines have been around for decades. Yeah, so, so much older. Yeah, it much does older. make it. Yeah, it does make some sense that there's there's more people with the experience in that in that area that that can help and and know what sort of recipe you need to make the muscle biopsy cells grow. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. I, that's sort of been my my feeling as well around a number of the a number of companies that have been founded by scientists with that experience in terms of using mm. you know adult stem cells and and that's sort of the path that they've continued down which you know which makes sense if that's your area of expertise um sorry just going back Jacob to, to your point about talking to you know to other companies and, and that sorry I took us off on a, <laughs> a tangent there but just returning to your point about that um, I was just also going to mention that although we don't talk specifically about the, the cell lines necessarily, um, there's quite a collegial feel around the yeah. regulatory yeah. process. Um, so both Andrew and myself are involved in a, a regulatory affairs uh, day that had some for SANS people as well as some local government people as well as uh, both companies from uh, cultivated meat as well as precision fermentation. And we're all sort of... Uh, understand how difficult it is to walk alone. Mm. Uh, and so for the regulatory side of things and, and what's required for those, we're quite uh, happy to work together. And It was actually a really lovely day with a lot of goodwill, a lot of collegiality, and it, it was put together by Cellular Agriculture Australia, uh, an industry group, and it was just, uh, it was actually really refreshing to to, to see, okay, we've all got common problems. Let's let's work together to 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 get through it. So no, it was great. We should talk about that as well. You know, it was a great couple of days uh, up in up in Sydney yeah. as well. So on the back of the you know the 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 regulatory uh, workshop that that you just um, both mentioned, um, which again is something that I've mentioned on the podcast many times about. Uh, Jacob, what you just mentioned in terms of us working together with other people in the industry. Most people just simply cannot believe that that, that happens, particularly when you talk to investors. They're, they're like, what, like, you know, oh, what about this competition? What about that competition? What are they doing? And, you know, oh, these people are, you know, your enemies basically. Like, it's just not like that at all. Like everyone's working to to help each other within within the industry. Um as you've just as you've just outlined, so which I, fi- I find that I, don't know, I find it really amusing as well. I don't know, there's a lot of things I find amusing, but um, yeah, we had a great uh, few days in in Sydney. Uh, obviously, that that workshop uh, that night, we uh, held our first uh, tasting event outside of Melbourne uh, in in Sydney. Um, so there was the, the three of us there, uh, Wendy uh, as well, and we. Um, 
debuted our latest creation, which was lamb cigars, along with our uh, pork dumplings to uh, an exclusive uh, audience. Uh, and a couple of friends from, uh, a couple of our friends from the entourage were there, obviously, um, as well, um, which was, uh, you know, great to be able to, to host us uh, up in Sydney, which was, um, yeah, really exciting for us and, and exciting for us to, you know, showcase the, the products to some uh, some more people uh, because there's only been, oh, I don't know, a couple of dozen now I suppose in, in total people that have, that have tasted the, the, the product. So so that was exciting. I, I, again, I think it was um, uh, well well received and the feedback around the products were good. I think we got a 10 out of 10 there as well, Andrew. We did. Yeah. I think 10 out of 10 tastes exactly like regular meat. Yeah, yeah. So so, so that that's that's always good. And, um, yeah, I guess off the back of that, you know, I um, – uh, had some conversations around um, uh, partnerships and collaborations and uh, investment and, and all those sorts of things, which which was great. So that was really good. And then the following day, we had uh, the cellular, the inaugural Australian Cellular Agriculture Summit, hosted mm-hmm. by uh, Cellular Agriculture Australia and Future Alternative. And I, I, I think there was, I think I saw. Um, I think there was 140 people there um, for for, for felt that like day. more. It was an amazing day. It, it was it was it was really great. And I, just tying back into your earlier point, Jacob, around the you know the collaboration that that continued for for the for the following day. And um, it was, yeah, both Andrew and I um, uh, spoke on panels, but um, there was people there from all over the industry. There's a lot of government people there. There was a lot of um, uh, there's a few academics there. There's a few uh, investors there. People flown in from around the Asia Pacific region. Yes, yeah, particularly from Singapore. Yep, it's a that's a really good point. Uh, uh, regu- people from the the regulatory authorities there. Some, lots of food science people there. Um, just lots of uh, even. Uh, people that were just interested in the development of cellular agriculture, uh, whether they be from you know not-for-profit organisations or you know impact or climate-focused organisations, animal rights organisations, some people, journalists, journalists, yeah, yeah, um, people just wanting to find out you know more about the the, the industry and, and and what's happening and. Obviously, you know, not just uh, cultivated meat, but precision fermentation as as well. And it was a it was a bit of a who's who of uh, of the industry in, in Australia, which was uh, I had a great time there. I met so many you know new uh, people, you know, supportive people. Um, got to make lots of new connections uh, as well as meet people uh, in person again for the first time. Things we haven't had a lot of in person events until mm. until recently. Um, and it was really just a, a great a great. It was, a, it was a really well-run event. There's lots of great content. It was a really great day. We, I mean, yeah, it was a really broad spectrum of people there. And not totally importantly, but it was also much warmer and very sunny in Sydney the whole time we were there. <laughs> so much warmer. <laughs> I got off the plane, it was like a heat wave, but it was only like 20 degrees or whatever. We're just used to it being like 12 or whatever it is here in Melbourne. That was, that was it, full on. It was nice. It was, it was, yeah, it was definitely good to get a bit of sunshine as well. But um, just, you know, back, back to that... Um, uh, event it's it, itself it, it showed a lot of uh, there's a couple of things I guess you know doing the tasting the, the night before again gave us a little bit more validation as as well around you know the products and and, and what we're doing but the, the the event the next day as well just having 
so many people there. Uh, and this is before the, the USDA mm. you know, an- announcement and so much interest, uh, you know, in, in, in the industry, uh, you know, not to mention the people that, you know, want to come and work in the industry as well. There's, you know, a number of students there as well, people looking to, to change careers from their, from their existing um, industry. Uh, yeah, look, I just thought it was a, you know, a fantastic event and, you know, being the, the, the first one um, and how much interest there is building because, you know, we've been, you know, doing this for a couple of years now and we're sort of, you know, it's been slowly, slowly and, you know, just people, um, you get a little bit more attention and there's a little bit more awareness but um, for me, that just showed how much interest there is in in, in the sector, how much uh, collaboration there is uh, going on. There, I didn't. The, the piece that was missing for me was probably uh, participation from the existing animal ag industry. I don't know that there was many people there, you know, from traditional uh, pro- producers um, because I know a lot of the questions were around, you know, are you working with, you know, mm. traditional protein producers and, um, you know, what's happening with those conversations and but so I, that was probably the, the one piece that was missing from me. I don't know if you met anyone that was from from industry, existing industry. Uh, definitely from existing industry but not. The, so quite large companies that work and have some interest in the precision fermentation oh, yeah. side of things that, that were oh, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, no, you're right. And some, some other bigger company representatives were, were there. Um, so for big multinational companies that have food divisions of all yes. sorts, different sorts. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, no, yeah, so right. I think they were there but not not. Not in large numbers. Yeah, and I, I think you're, you're right. I, I did uh, I did meet a couple of those people. I think they were doing a lot of observing as opposed to, you know, active participation in, in, in terms of, you know, the technology and, and that sort of thing. So it would be really interesting to see how that, you know, develops as, as well, you know, our... Um, uh, you know, conversation. As, I'm going to say, our. I mean, as an industry, conversations with um, you know existing industry, and, and see uh, what collaborations come come out of that, mm. um, and, and 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 how the products are, are received moving moving forward. And, and look, had a couple of really helpful conversations from people from those larger companies who worked through regulatory issues before, and just had lots of really great advice of of. As you're developing a food product, these are the sorts of things that you need to think about as yeah. you go through these diff- different stages, and that that's, that only comes with experience. And that, that was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right on the on the product development and food science sides, and mm. yeah, yeah, product approvals. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's a lot of government people there. There's a lot of people from government <laughs> yeah. there, which uh, yeah, which was interesting as well. Uh, but a great event all around. Do you have any other comments on on the event, Andrew? I just, just I think, it, I think I saw in the social media that um, somebody said it was a shame that the US announcement didn't come before that that event. But building from the excitement from that event within Australia or within the uh, Australia Pacific, Australia Asia Pacific region, APAC. Um, uh, then having on top of that the US announcement, I. I, I feel like there's a real turning point that mm. the, the, the last week or two has been, especially in Australia but and, and the US, is it, it's it, the, the dawn of the age of cell-cultivated meats is, is here. It, Absolutely, 100%. And, and I couldn't, 
couldn't agree more. And, and and the timing of those events, I think, was yeah, perfect, really, to be honest, because the excitement had built in Australia. We've all been to the, you know, we've all been to the summit. Um, <laughs> get back home and catch up on some emails and catch up on work. And then we've got, you know, oh, what's this week's announcements? Oh, <laughs> USDA approval of, of the products. So, um, yeah, look, it, 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 we're certainly at an all-time high in terms of awareness now, um, and I think that'll um, continue uh, not just uh, through the, the the media, but through consumers now as as well. Because I, I, as you said, it's a, it's a massive turning point or inflection point. You know, instead of talking about it, talking about it, talking about it. Oh, hey, guess what? You're in the US. Well, soon you're going to be able to try these products. It, it's happening. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, excellent, Jacob. Anything you want to add? I guess the the, the US uh, approvals also open up uh, earlier. Um, avenues for exporting to the US as well, which is quite interesting. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And we know there's a number of companies working in their home country that are looking to to export to the US being such a, a huge market as well. I, I don't know how many applications are, are in are in process in, in, in the US. I think it's it's got to be at least a dozen, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think, yeah, the, the people were talking about different numbers at the summit. Yeah. Yeah, but they're obviously all lined up, which uh, it'll be interesting to see how quickly those, uh, you know, next approvals occur because obviously we saw in Singapore, uh, I think it was towards the end of 2020, that first uh, uh, approval and what's that? It's only three years now. We're coming up to three years and there hasn't been any more products approved. The US could just, you know, become the new, you know, hub. hub yeah, exactly, um, which will be interesting to, to see. Australia yeah. will be similar because talking to Fasans at the regulatory meeting, they were talking about uh, the length of applications, which, you know, rightly so, has been quite long process at the beginning. Yeah. Um, with every subsequent application, I think it will be faster just because they will know more, they'll have yeah. the right questions to ask. So I think it'll be a great thing. Makes sense. It's good for, for companies coming in just behind uh, like us. Absolutely. <laughs> good for everybody. Good for everyone. Yeah, no, exactly. Oh, look, I mean, I, I say that jokingly, but, you know, we it, it really is helpful for, for, for us having these other companies, um, you know, pave, pave the way, you know, particularly in terms of the regulatory approval process. Uh, it'll, make, it'll make things a lot, um, I think, more as you mentioned, more streamlined uh, and, and simpler for, for us and, and all the, you know, companies that are, that are following suit so yeah it's uh it's really great for everyone and hopefully it shifts people's first thought when they hear about cultivated meat was oh yeah but didn't that burger cost yeah two hundred thousand dollars yeah two hundred thousand euros um to oh wait what you can you can buy it in a restaurant yeah it's a totally new narrative yeah yeah it'll be interesting to see the marketing approach they they both take as well i think both the the marketing from both those companies to date has been outstanding in terms of Mm. you know what what they put out so um yeah fingers crossed that that continues all right i think we're just about come to our end of End of the podcast, I th- Andrew. I think we might have. I think I think just leaves me to thank my um, panel co-hosts, Paul Bevan and um, Jacob Goodman. Thank you very much. And for those of you listening, if you want more information on Magic Valley, please head to our website at www.magicvalley.com.au. 
give us a follow on YouTube where you can watch this podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. We've got a Twitter. We've got LinkedIn. We do. A, we have a pretty active on LinkedIn. We have Instagram. And we have TikTok. And for those of you interested in more information on that cell line report that we're talking about, we'll we'll add that in the uh, in the liner notes for the podcast. So thanks very much for listening to episode ten of the Magic Hour. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Jacob. Cheers.